Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. To, to kind of begin today, let, let's do a really quick, totally spontaneous, completely non-scientific poll. Are you down for that? All right, here we go. How many of you, this is your first hurricane? First hurricane, raise your, a few of you? Several of you. Hey, welcome to Florida. <laughs> All right, good deal, good deal. How many of you lost power? Raise your hand, lost power. Those are the real Christians right here. I just want you to know that. These are the real believers right now. Now, if nobody rushes up to hug you, don't take it personal, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how many of you talked to a neighbor this week you haven't talked to in a while? Yes. Several of you have. Very good. It's amazing how storms make us more community aware. How many of you never want to talk to a neighbor again? That's another message for another day, okay? I refer you back to Pastor Dustin on that one. I had planned on starting a new series of messages today called Prepare the Way, based on Really, I think one of the greatest leadership succession stories in the Bible from the life of King David of Israel, and I think it's very important for us to study stories like that because we're in a season of leadership succession here at Journey. However, in light of the historic hurricane that tore through our state in the past few days, I'm pushing the start of that series to next week. What I want to do today is focus on a story from the life of Jesus found in the Gospel of Mark that I believe is more relevant to our situation this weekend. So if you have a Bible or your Bible app up on your device, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 4, Gospel of Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 35 through 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I read about a couple's only child, a son, who'd gone away to college. Their expectations were high, but his grades were low. In fact, his grades were so low, he flunked out of school. Knowing the disappointment that his parents could feel, he sent his mother a text that read, failed all my courses, kicked out of school, coming home, prepare pop. His mom texted back, Pop prepared, prepare yourself. <laughs> Life is full of all kinds of storms. And we've been reminded once again this past week that the better prepared we are for the storms, 
the better we can get through the storms. In the Gospel of Mark, we read about a sudden and fierce storm that Jesus and his disciples were caught right smack in the middle of. The evening began calmly enough. After an exhausting day of teaching and ministering, Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. He needed some rest away from the large crowds that were following him at this time. So they all piled into some boats. The Mark says more than one boat they had, and they sailed off. But then a furious storm came up out of nowhere, and suddenly they feared for their lives. Now, let me just tell you about the Sea of Galilee for just a moment. I've been fortunate enough to be on that very lake, the Sea of Galilee, a couple of times. In fact, take a look at a, some pictures. I took these pictures. Um, that's why they're not very good. Okay? This is a little hazy right here, but that's looking down on the Sea of Galilee. But I just want you to see the kind of the mountain range, the hillsides in the background. This was a little better picture, uh, but uh, at, at sunset. So just take a look at that for just a moment. I want to show you, just real quick, a very short video that I shot on the Sea of Galilee back in 2010. Take a look at this. Well, we've uh, just finished a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee where uh, so many of the great uh, texts that tell us of Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee, uh, calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee, sleeping while the storm was going on the Sea of Galilee, the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus with the disciples as they uh, they uh, were fishing and didn't recognize him, and then he had the, uh, he had the fish uh, prepared on the shore as they uh, came ashore. Just so many wonderful things here. It's an incredible experience of uh, not only walking where Jesus walked, but uh, being on the boat where, where Jesus uh, uh, walked on the water. Now, let me tell you two things real quick about that video, all right? Number one, I weighed about 40 pounds then more than I do right now, so don't judge me. <laughs> Second, that was filmed just days before Melinda and I moved to Florida to become your lead pastor. So my takeaway is my life got better in every way when I came to Journey Christian Church. Yeah, amen to that. Let me tell you a little bit about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level, surrounded by hills on nearly every side. The topography of the area lends itself to these kinds of quick hitter storms blowing through without warning. It's like a giant funnel that draws in cold air from the mountains in the north, meeting the moisture of the warm sea that churns up a storm quickly and intensely. Verse 37 says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus' disciples did everything humanly possible to keep the boat afloat and save their lives. This is not the first time they had been in a storm. In fact, many of these guys were career fishermen, but as the waves thrashed against their vessel and as it began taking on water, they realized they're in serious trouble. And then someone among them noticed that Jesus was not helping them. In fact, the text tells us that he was sound asleep in the stern of the ship on a pillow. Now, I have to confess, I haven't been on too many boats. I did own a boat for about a year. 
and it was one of the dumbest decisions of my life. I'm not kidding. It put a strain on my schedule and a drain on my bank account. I eventually sold that boat at a tremendous financial loss, but even still, there are days when things aren't going well, I'll say to myself, at least I don't own that boat anymore. <laughs> now, while I haven't been on too many boats, I can't imagine sleeping through a storm like the one the writer is describing here. And it's not like that they're on a yacht. This was most likely a small fishing boat. Think about how tired Jesus must have been to sleep through such a storm on such a crude craft. Now, lest you think Jesus is sleeping on a sleep number mattress with a memory foam pillow, let me explain this scene to you. First century fishermen used large, heavy nets for their work. They stored those nets in a nook that was built in the stern of the boat. So Jesus was sleeping in a small enclosed compartment, which was really the only protected part of the boat. And his pillow was most likely a leather sandbag or a ballast bag, not unlike the sandbags many in our state use to fight off storm surge. Fishermen in the Mediterranean still use these same ballast bags. They weigh about 100 pounds. And they're used to help stabilize the boat, which raises a question. Do you think Jesus dragged this pillow back to the stern so he could sleep? Or was he sleeping so soundly someone rustled him up a makeshift pillow? We don't know, but we do know that this was premeditated slumber. Jesus didn't just accidentally nod off. In full knowledge of the coming storm, Jesus decided it was siesta time, so he crawled into a corner, put his head on a sandbag, and drifted off to sleep. And while the disciples scream, Jesus dreams. While the thunder roars, the Messiah snores. You see, Jesus was tired, but Jesus was also trusting. The disciples shook Jesus awake and incredulously asked, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus finally awake, stands up and rebukes the howling winds and pounding waves. And he says, quiet, be still. And immediately, even more suddenly than the storm had started, the storm is silenced. Within seconds, the sea was completely calm and the boat had settled back down to a steady rhythmic rocking on the calm waters. But Jesus wasn't finished with his rebuke he then turned to his disciples and turns the tables on them by asking them a couple of pointed questions. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, we're not told what happened next, but I imagine Jesus laid back down and went back to sleep on his sandbag pillow. But as for the disciples, they were terrified. And they asked each other, maybe whispered, who is this? Even the wind and the wave obey him. Our peaceful lives are often interrupted by disturbing and sometimes dangerous storms. Maybe a little unexpected shower, like a cutting remark that wounds our pride, bruises our ego. Or maybe a brutal hurricane kind of event, like the loss of property and possessions, the death of a loved one, the collapse of a business, or devastating news from a doctor. Mark Batterson once said, it's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. 
It's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Batterson says anyone can put on an act, but your reactions reveal what is really in your heart. And friends, how we react to the storms of life can make or break the forming of our faith. Three brief lessons I want to highlight from this dramatic account of the storm on the Sea of Galilee. First one is this. Every person experiences storms, even those who travel with Jesus. The impact of this sudden storm hit impartially. Having Jesus in their boat did not exempt the disciples from being battered by a serious squall. This was not like the storm that hit the rebellious Jewish prophet Jonah. They weren't being punished for their disobedience. In fact, it was Jesus who directed them to cross over to the other side of the lake. They were doing exactly what their Lord instructed them to do, and yet they found themselves in the middle of a mess. And that's important for us to remember because you can almost get the impression by the way that some Christians talk or post that if you walk with God, your life will always be smooth and easy. Some newer or naive Christians can get the mistaken idea that having Jesus in their boat means exemption from their problems. But that's, not, that's just not true. Scriptures make it clear. Being a companion of Jesus doesn't spare us from the storms of life. Jesus said on another occasion, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain, even storms, on the righteous and the unrighteous. At the very end of Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told a story about two men who built houses. One built his house on a solid rock foundation. The other built his on sand. A horrifying storm hit both houses. The man who built wisely was not spared from the storm. The difference was the foundation he built on. Being a disciple of Jesus doesn't exempt you from trees falling, enclosures collapsing, water rising, or roofs leaking. If you suffered some property loss from in, or if you're without electrical power in your house right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you didn't prepare well or that you did something wrong or that you're a bad person. It just means you're human and you live in Florida. Problems happen. Hurricanes hit. The difference is your foundation. What are you building your life on as we just sang? What are you placing your hopes in? Where's your real treasure stored up on earth or is it laid up in heaven? That's what ultimately matters. If you've heard any of the evacuees or survivors from some of the worst hit areas of our state, like, like Fort Myers and like Sanibel Island, have you noticed their words? No one laments a lost 70-inch smart TV or a submerged SUV. No one was running through the streets yelling, my cordless drill is missing. My golf clubs have washed away. Raging hurricanes and flooded streets have a way of prying our fingers off the stuff that we love so much, but that can be taken away just like that. What was once considered most precious to us now means very little. And what was once ignored is now of eternal significance. Best-selling author and Bible teacher Max Lucado shared a message several years ago in the days after Hurricane Katrina just decimated the city of New Orleans. 
And Lucado's message on that occasion was called What Katrina Can Teach Us. And here's what he said. A friend and I attended a worship service at Antioch Baptist Church last Sunday night. Several African-American church leaders had organized an assembly to pray for the evacuees that had ended up in San Antonio. And that's where Max Lucado has been a pastor for many years, San Antonio, Texas. Many of them, he said, sat on the front rows dressed in all the clothing they now owned, T-shirts and jeans. Their faces were weary from the week, but when the music started and the worship began, he said they came to their feet and sang with tears in their eyes. And then Lucado asked this, were all your possessions washed away? Could you still worship? Would you still worship? And if not, you're holding to things too tightly. Then later on in that same service, Lucado says a pastor named L.A. Williams stood up and gave a sermon on just this one verse it's from the book of Genesis. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Lucado says Pastor Williams helped us see all the things Noah could not find because of the flood. He could not find his neighborhood. He could not find his house. He could not find the comforts of home or the people down the street. There was much Noah could not find. But what Noah could find made all the difference. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Lucado concludes by saying this. If you have everything and no grace, you have nothing. If you have nothing but grace, you have everything. Amen? Lesson number two, Jesus accompanies us through the storms, even though it may appear he's unconcerned. This storm came up quickly and unexpectedly, and it scared the disciples. Now, keep in mind that at least four of the disciples, Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, were professional fishermen. They made their living on fishing boats until the day they met Jesus. They knew a thing or two about storms because they had seen a thing or two in storms. But even these veteran fishermen were caught off guard by the intensity of this particular storm. While the disciples were battling for their lives, Jesus is sleeping so undisturbed, it disturbed them. When they finally aroused him, they questioned him with great fear and panic. Teacher, don't you care? Max Lucado writes, they do not ask about Jesus' strength. Teacher, can you still the storm? Or his knowledge. Teacher, are you aware of the storm? Or his know-how. Teacher, do you have any experience with storms? But rather, they raise doubts about his character. Teacher, don't you care? Think about who they were asking that question to for just a minute. Now sit in this with me for just a moment. Think about who they were asking this question to. This is Jesus they're talking to. The one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or clung to. The one who left heaven's splendor to take on human flesh, be born in an animal's feed box. The one who stooped to serve those he created and eventually bleed and die on a Roman cross to pay for the sins of everyone in the world the guy who's been on the road teaching and absolutely exhausted that he can't help but sleep through a nasty storm at sea. And they can ask him with a straight face, Lord, don't you care about us? Really? But that's exactly what fear does to us. Fear erodes our confidence in God's goodness. 
If God can sleep through our storms, if his eyes stay shut while ours, while ours grow wild, if he permits storms after we get on board with him, does he really care about us at all? Fear unleashes a swarm of doubts in the storms of life. It causes us to disbelieve, to distrust, to become quickly irritated, to be suspicious and questioning. And it turns us into control freaks. Do something about this storm, Lord, now. You see, fear at its core is a loss of control. And when things start spinning out of control around us, we grab for things we can manage. Or we make rash, risk-averse decisions that are not based on prudent wisdom, but on pure worry. And when fear shapes our lives, safety becomes our God. You'll never catch me in a skyscraper again. Some nut job's liable to blow it up. I'll never ride an airplane again. Did you see that plane crash on the news? I'll never put my child in the nursery. I heard about a kid who got the whooping cough at a church nursery and died. I'll never go surfing. Sharks are just waiting to eat you up. I'll never invest my money in stocks. Stock market can crash in a day. I feel safer with it in the trunk of my car under my mattress. There are people who are so worried about all the potential storms that they might encounter that they would rather stay safely on the shore than take an adventuresome boat ride with Jesus. The late motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, once pointed out that while there is danger when a boat leaves the harbor, that's what boats are made for. There's more danger when a ship sets in the dock and collects barnacles. There's danger when a plane leaves the runway, but that's what planes are made for. There's more danger when a plane sets in the hangar and gets rusty. There's definitely danger when a person dares to walk by faith. But that's what following Jesus is all about. There's more danger when we sit around and do nothing and die of disinterest and boredom. You would think, you would think at least one of these disciples would remember Jesus' track record or review Jesus' resume. Even though this story takes place early in their time with Jesus, they still had solid reasons to trust him. By now, they had seen him healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people, Matthew tells us in his gospel. They'd seen him heal a leper with a touch and a servant with a command. Peter saw his sick mother-in-law recover from a serious fever, and they'd seen demons scatter into swine. But you see, listen. Fear not only erodes our confidence in God's goodness in the present, it erases our recall of past victories he's given us in the past. It dulls our memory. It makes us forget what Jesus has done for us and how good God is to us. Here's an important lesson from this story. God does not promise exemption from the storms of life, but he does promise his presence through the storms of life. He does not always bring peace to your circumstances, but he will always bring peace to your spirit if you ask him. The psalm writer David wrote in Psalm 23, the most famous psalm ever. The Lord is my shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice David did not say God would never lead us through a dark valley, but that he would accompany us all the way through it to the very end. And you know what? Even the end is not the end because he concludes the most famous psalm of all time by saying, for surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. Say it one more time. Forever. Forever. Jesus accompanies us, accompanies us through the storms even though it may appear he's unconcerned. Here's a final lesson, lesson three. 
Maturity comes by enduring the storms, even though we would prefer exemption. Maturity comes by enduring the storms, even though we would prefer exemption. Several years ago, I read a study from a scientist on the value of lightning. I guess I did that because when I moved to Florida, I didn't realize it was the lightning strike capital of the world. This scientist said that lightning strikes are essential to our survival on this planet. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Nobody likes lightning storms or strikes. They knock down trees. They disrupt electrical services. They threaten all forms of life. But apparently, lightning is essential to the nitrogen cycle, and nitrogen is vital to plant life, but it is an extremely passive chemical. But that's a good thing, because if it weren't so passive, we would all be poisoned by the different nitrous combinations. Given its passive nature, it's nearly impossible for us to get it to combine naturally with other things. So how then has God arranged to get the nitrogen out of the air and into the soil? Lightning. 100,000 bolts of lightning strike the earth's surface somewhere every day, creating 100 million tons of usable nitrogen plant food in the soil. You see, the storms that frighten us actually provide for us and can even protect us. The storms of life can strengthen us too. When this dramatic weather episode on the Sea of Galilee was over, the disciples were keenly aware of both the authority and identity of Jesus in a way they would not have been otherwise. They would remember this incident for a long time and be strengthened by it every time they did. And here's what I pray. I pray that one day in the future, when we tell stories about living through this historic 500-year, 1,000-year hurricane, that we too will see the authority of Jesus in clearer ways than we ever have before. We don't know what the post-hurricane reality for many in our state will be just yet, but we do know that most likely thousands of households and businesses will be in recovery mode for quite a while. I'm hoping that journey will be a hub of help to those who are hurting. You know, I don't think it's accidental or coincidental that Pastor Dustin Agard recently shared that part of his vision for journey in the coming years is to serve the hurting. When he preached that message a couple of weeks ago, none of us were expecting it to look like this. But listen to me. We don't get to choose what we go through, but we can choose how we go through it. We don't get to choose what we go through, but we can choose how we go through it. A writer named Carlos Castaneda said, we either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves strong, and the amount of work is the same. Journey, let's live out that vision that Pastor Dustin shared with us over the last few weeks to reach out in love to our neighbors, to serve hurting. None of us would have chosen a storm like this to grow our faith, but most of us grow more through one stormy night than we do six months of routine living. The story ends with Jesus asking the disciples, why are you so afraid? He didn't ask them that because there was nothing to be afraid of. (laughs) 
The storm that engulfed them was deadly. Jesus doesn't mean that we won't encounter things that truly make us afraid. Obviously, we do, and we will. I think what Jesus was meaning is, why are you so afraid when you know I'm in the boat with you? Why panic when you can pray? Why be so distraught when you know I'm able and willing to be your deliverer? Why act as though you're on your own when you know you're not? Someone has pointed out that in the Gospels, there's about 125 commands issued by Jesus to his followers. Of those 125 commands, 21 of them urge us not to be afraid, not fear, have courage, take heart. In fact, some version of don't be afraid is Jesus' most frequent command to his disciples. The second most common command given by Jesus is to love God and love our neighbor, but those commands only occur on eight occasions. So if volume or quantity is any indication, Jesus takes our fears seriously and reminds us that he will be with us continuously. You know, sometimes grown children will sit around and they'll chuckle or complain about the most common commands or statements they heard from their parents growing up. Our oldest daughter, who lives here in downtown Orlando, and her family evacuated ahead of the storm on Tuesday, and they went to stay with our youngest daughter and her husband outside of Atlanta. And so while they were together there a couple days ago, I asked them, what are some of the most frequent commands you heard from your mother or me. Now, you gotta have some courage as a parent if you wanna ask that to your grown kids. I said, girls, help me with my sermon. What are some of the most frequent commands you heard me or your mother say? Here's what they texted. Clean up your room. Pick up the towels. I don't know about in your household, that was just something that drove me crazy. There were towels everywhere particularly in our girls' bedrooms. And Anna, my oldest, reminded me, I grounded her one hour for every towel she left on the floor. <laughs> you know what I told her? I said, that's good parenting. <laughs> that's what that is. Unload the dishwasher. Take out the trash. Turn down that music. My youngest said that. Hurry up, I'm leaving without you. Now, that's something Melinda said. I would never say that. Do you think the disciples ever sat around and just reflected on the most often repeated phrases of Jesus to them? If so, perhaps they thought of words like these, so don't be afraid. You are worth many sparrows. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Friends, fear may fill our world today, but it doesn't have to fill our hearts. After Jesus silenced the wind and the waves with a word, the disciples were, are left wondering with a whisper, who is this? Who is this?
is this guy? He's the Messiah that will be with you in the middle of your mess. He's the one who cares about everything you're going through right now. And he's the one who can use the scariest storms of our lives to be the greatest seasons of growth for our faith. So I want to end with asking what seems to me to be the most important question from this whole story. Is Jesus in your boat? I mean, seriously, what else should we take away from this? Is Jesus in your boat? That seems to me to be what really matters more than anything else. And if he's not in your boat, you can invite him in right now and he will. He'll do it. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lake County, online, let's all join together in prayer right now. So, Father, thank you that you are with us, even in the storms of life. And we just pray for the people that are here, the people in Lake County, the people online that have been impacted in, in, in some very serious ways. Some people are trying to get water out of their house right now, hoping there's not mold that will come up out of that. We. Some people are repairing some property. Some people are still dealing with the inconvenience of having no electrical power. Father, we, we just pray for these households. We pray for these families. We lift them up to you. And we know, God, you're with them. And I pray that as your followers, we'll just reflect often on those words. Do not fear, little flock. Your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Father, help us right now. And for those that need to invite you into the boat of their lives, to build their lives on that firm foundation of your words, oh God, we just... We just pray they would right now. They'll just say yes to Jesus. They'll say, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus right now. I put my trust in him. I want to follow him. I'm inviting Jesus into my boat. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.